for us. Uh, we are in a new series now in November called The Presence of God. Uh, I've been thinking about doing this series for well over a year now, and I'm, I'm, really, I'm really excited to jump into this with you. In my, in my group, my Wednesday night group, a few weeks ago, we were digging into Sunday's message, because that's what we do as a group on Wednesdays, and we started talking about things that divide us. We had done a, a, a message about unity, and we talked about things that divide us, and inevitably, those in the group who had grown up in the church shared some of the things that were divisive in, in their experience. They were things that were prohibited in the name of Christianity while they were growing up in church. Things like, I kid you not, using scissors on Sunday. I don't know how many of you plan to use scissors today, but you must not, okay? And I, I, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I'm actually totally not, I'm not disrespecting even... <laughs> These things came from somewhere. They seem so silly when you look in hindsight, but this this longing in the church to want to be set apart, to be separate, to take the Sabbath seriously, that's where that came from, right? But when you just say it on its own, we started to share some of those stories, and there were some funny ones. It, It made some of us think about people we know who have rejected their Sunday school faith because the church is just made up of too many rules, and people, you know, people just want to live their lives. And... I suspect that we've all heard something like that before from someone else, or maybe you felt that way yourself. And so the question in our group was posed, what can I even say to people who, who say, I, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus, uh, but they don't really want to live for him. They don't want to do anything that the scripture says. They don't really want anything to change in their life. They just have sort of a, a kind of a basic belief that Jesus was real at some point in time. What do you, what do you even say to people like that? And I answered the question, um, maybe too simplistically, but what I really truly believe is that people who feel that way, especially those who have known church, is that they need to meet Jesus, like the real Jesus. I don't, and I don't say that with any sass at all. Like, you know, how could they, what do you mean they need to meet Jesus? Didn't they learn all about Jesus growing up in church? Like, yes and no, they learned about him uh, I mean, it, it sounds like they were introduced to a Christian-looking way of living and then trying to live up to that standard, but they never had an encounter with the living, freeing, redeeming, loving, transforming Jesus that we talk about, that we, we preach about in Scripture, that the, the real Jesus, not just a, a list of, of things from, from Scripture and then stuff we just add on top of that, but real, the real Jesus himself. And I hate that it's true, but when you grow up in church, you can miss this. You can miss him. And I'm not blaming parents or pastors or Sunday school teachers or anything like that. It's just that um, so quickly and so easily, the church itself can become a culture in our homes and even in our country. And instead of it being something that's owned by, a faith that's owned by the one who grows up surrounded by it, it just becomes the thing that you do or the habit in the family. And by the way, I'm a very big believer in creating those habits in your family. But that's not the end of the story. You have to have your own encounter with the living Christ, each person. One person in our our group that night joked, but like not joked, but like joked, and said, we need an alpha for people who grew up in church. And I also, not joking, 
went to Pastor Aaron the next day and said, I think we might need an alpha for people who grew up in church. We actually are thinking maybe to do something like that. So are people who kind of understand a bit about Christianity but walked away from their faith because they never truly internalized how incredible Jesus is. And I, uh, I have said this before here, and I will say it again, and I'll probably say it again after today. When I hear stories of people who are deconstructing their faith, you probably heard this term. I never hear people say they met Jesus face to face and they found that he wasn't worth it. I've never once heard someone say that. What I hear is that they never encountered Jesus at all and they came to doubt if any of this stuff we're doing here today or whatever is real. And I don't want that to be any one of you. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be any of us. And one thing, I, uh, one thing I love about being Pentecostal is the emphasis that we have as a denomination on the living, active presence of God in the life of the Christ follower. We believe and we have experienced God's presence, his Holy Spirit, and we believe that, uh, that he can be felt and known as he leads us and guides us and equips us and empowers his church. And so for the next uh, four weeks here in November, we're going to study what the word says about the presence of God. Genesis 1 verses 2 and 3 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And I want to talk about the fact that from that moment until this one, and beyond, the presence of God has been at work in the world. He's at work right now. And I want to trace this theme of the presence of God from the tabernacle in the wilderness to the temple in Jerusalem to the incarnation of Christ and into the church herself. And I want you to long to know the presence of God in your life every single day day. That's my thesis statement for four weeks. I want us to get to the end of November and, and wherever we started from, I want us to be beyond I, like myself. Like I want to long even more for the presence of God in my life, the more I understand what that means. I want to fan your passion for his presence into flame. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I'm just telling you my game plan. No secrets, okay? I want you to be able to recognize his presence in the scriptures and assume that he is working here and now because you understand that he has always been working and that you would trust that he's walking with you in every situation you're in. So, Let's start in Exodus with the tent or the tabernacle with the Israelites and with Moses and with just after the Exodus from Egypt. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 33. We're going to read a passage here starting at verse 7. If you're using the YouVersion app, of course, you can click more than events, and this is already loaded up in there for you. Also, just a little side note about the YouVersion app, as I've heard some feedback, because I don't usually use it, because usually I'm here doing this. Um, if you want to save your notes or save these scriptures or come back to it or whatever, you have to hit save right now, right? Has you guys figured this out? If you wait like 30 minutes after the service, it's all over. You can never find it again. And that's not a setting that I can change. So if you want it, save it right now. And also, here's another little side note since we're chatting. Um, did you know that every single week we have a playlist of all the songs that were sung on Sunday morning? And that playlist is already loaded up for you also in the YouVersion app. And it's also on our YouTube. 
mm, channel, which is youtube.com slash freedomchurchkw. That felt, that felt legitimate. Let's go with that. Uh, so anyway, sometimes you come to me and say, what was that song that so-and-so was singing? And I think it was the third one. I think it had this word in it. You guys say stuff like this to me all the time. It's already loaded for you. We load it for you. We load it for you every single week because we love you. We want you to worship. Okay, there you go. Okay, so Exodus uh, 33 is where we are. In the context of this passage is this. Moses had met with God and had received instructions from God. And he was bringing those back down to the Israelites. He was on the mountain having this experience. And included in those instructions were the Ten Commandments. And when he came down from the mountain, he found the people worshipping a golden calf. You might know this story. And I don't have time to get into it, but let's just say it was very bad news. Okay, It was a very bad thing. So in the beginning of Exodus 33, which is where we're going to be, God says to them, leave this place where they were camped there. Leave this place. I will give you the land I promised and will send an angel before you, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. That's facts. That's Exodus 33. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Isn't that an incredible account? And also, talking about growing up in the church, I can't, I can't, I'm sorry, Mom, I know I can't, I can't stop myself. I don't know where she is. She's in here somewhere. Oh, she's back there, right? 
He hideth my soul in the cleft. Yeah, okay, it doesn't, it's not important right now. I was singing it all week. I was like, and he covers me there with his hand. Do you guys know this old hymn? I should put it on the YouTube playlist for this week, okay? It'll be like, your love awakens, awakens. And it'll be like, he hideth my life in the... De-. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it this afternoon. I'm going to add it. Chapter 34, right after this beautiful passage and this incredible encounter that Moses has, uh, goes on to describe the experience of what God has just said that he's going to do, including giving Moses two new stone tablets, because you might remember, uh, if you know this story, he smashed the first two when he saw the golden calf. And then so God gives him another couple of them. And then uh, the fact that after this encounter, he had to wear a veil on his face whenever he went to meet with the Lord. When he came back to the camp, he had to wear a veil on his face because the glory of God, the presence of God was so radiant coming from him that it freaked people out. Pretty incredible stuff. And so what's significant about the beginning of this passage is that Israel had become just like all the other nations around them. This is what Moses is crying out to God about. Because God had given specific instructions for the building of the tabernacle so that he could live among his people. But instead, the description here, got to show us this photo. The description that you have here is that instead, the tent of meeting was set outside of the camp. This is not at all what God had intended. And this is what it looked like in the nations that surrounded them, that when other nations were worshiping their gods, that the place of worship, whatever temple, whatever sanctuary, whatever they had, was also outside of the, of the place, the city, or the place where the people lived. So they were looking just like all the nations around them, and Moses is saying, this is not what you said we were supposed to be doing, and now you said you won't go with us with your presence, and, and this is like, I can't, none of this is going to work. <laughs> this is just not going to work. And if people wanted to speak the, to God, they had to separate themselves from their own People, and these are supposedly the chosen people of God. They had to go outside of the camp. It wasn't how it was supposed to be. They weren't supposed to look like all the nations around them. They were the chosen people of Yahweh, the living God, and Moses just couldn't leave it there. Imagine being the people of Israel. There's such an incredible description of what was going on in this time. Watching someone else experience the glory of God, verse 8 there. Watching what it was like for Moses to go and meet with God. And then just stand at the entrance to your own tent and just stay there and watch. I think some people, maybe that's where you would be, some people would just long to be Moses. They would long for that same experience that Moses was having. I think also, though, that some people would be glad that he was doing it for them. You're going to take care of this God thing for us, which is awesome. Thank you so much, Moses. In fact, in Exodus chapter 20, the the Israelites did exactly that. They were afraid of God, and they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. And Moses said, Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of the Lord will be with you and keep you from sinning. And this is 2021. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. These same people, these Israelite people, these chosen people of God, from this point on found themselves in a cycle of sin and rebellion against God. Uh, Repenting and then returning to him and then sinning and rebelling and repenting and returning to him. Why? Why this cycle? 
think a lot of it probably stemmed back to these moments. They were invited into his presence and they asked someone else to go for them. And they missed a personal connection with God. Verse 11 in Exodus 33 says that Moses was face to face with God as a man speaks to his friend. I hope that hits you even the first time we read through this passage. Isn't that an incredible thought? Literally, in the Hebrew here, it means uh, closer to, not face-to-face, that's an easier way for us to understand, but mouth-to-mouth, like that close with God. And and Numbers 12, 8 gives us a little explanation of what that means. It means that he's hearing God, not um, theoretically, he's not hearing him philosophically, he's not hearing the idea of God. What, what this literally means uh, in the, at the time was it means that he's hearing God clearly and directly, mouth to mouth, like that's the, that face to face as we would translate it in English. That's what it's meaning. That's how close he was to God. That's how clearly he was hearing from God in his presence. Moses and Joshua then knew the presence of God. I, uh, don't you love that little phrase about Joshua not leaving the tent? Even Moses left the tent, but Joshua didn't. We're not sure why, whether he just loved being there, whether he was just serving so diligently and preparing things for Moses, whatever it was. But talk about preparation for Joshua. If you know the story of Joshua, he's going to be the next leader after Moses. He's going to take them to the promised land. They're going to conquer all of the nations. He's going to lead so well in such difficult times. Talk about preparation in his life for what was to come uh, for his leadership, spending that time in the presence of God. So they know the presence of God, but the people don't. The, and Moses is so concerned. He's like, how, how can we go forward without God in our midst? He's looking for uh, uh, that promise that God made. He's looking for the fact that he said he would go with them, not just, not just with Moses and not just with Joshua, but with all of them. That's what they were promised, and he wants to see God do what he promised. So Moses pretty boldly tells God, This is just not going to work. I'm not interested in your plan, God. (laughs) That's a little tricky, by the way. (laughs) But it was the right right attitude to have. God knew his heart, of course. God's presence, Moses knew that God's presence is what set his people apart from every other nation. Verse 15 and 16 say that. And if that's true, then how can they possibly live out any of the promises of God that they were given? How could that be possible if God's presence wasn't with them? So verse 15, as Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. This courage, this faith to ask God to bless them with wisdom, he says, teach me your ways. And and the courage and faith to ask God to bless them with the indwelling that he originally planned for his people pleases God and seems to change the mind of God as well. And more than that, as though Moses knew he couldn't bear the burden of what he was called to do uh, or what what his people would be facing um, next, he knew he couldn't do it by himself. He knew that it couldn't just be like just him by himself. He needed more as though that's what's on his heart, he says or demands or I don't know how you read it, show me your glory. And I wonder, you know, is God annoyed by Moses' boldness or his assumption here? 
Because Moses is like, oh, well, excuse me, Moses, you got a little bit too big for your britches there. No, not at all. Of course, God responds by saying, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. This is truly incredible. And it's also completely in line with the heart of the Father. If you're a parent here, how would you respond if your child asked to, to know more about you? to spend more time with you, to get closer to your face, except for when they're sick and they just like they sneeze on you and stuff like that. But other than that, like let's just not think about those things. If your child is asking to be with you, what is your response every time? This is the heart of the father. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, yes. I will show you who I am. I will show you more about, uh, more about me. I, I, will, I, will, I will teach you. I'll teach you my ways. All the things that you're asking, I will do. Like that is the heart of the father. And so Moses has this encounter with God. Not a full revelation of who God is because scripture is clear that he couldn't handle that. But unmistakably knowing his presence. There is going to be a full revelation of what God is like. In case you're wondering, we're going to skip ahead a few weeks just in this sentence. Like it has to wait until Jesus. We're going to get to that in a couple of weeks. There is going to be a full revelation, but for this time in this place, this is the presence of God being revealed. And so at the end of this encounter, new stone tablets are given to Moses. That's kind of nice. I actually love that part of the story. Like he, sort of, he got mad about the golden calf, which is under, totally understandable, and he smashes the Ten Commandments. <laughs> like it's kind of a big deal. But then God is like, okay, bring, bring some more stones up. I'll do it again for you. Isn't that just like our God? Like when we just, when we just step out of line, when we just, whatever, he just, there's just, he's so redemptive in all of his ways. And so after this, that those stone tablets are given again, the tabernacle is constructed as instructed by God down to the last detail in obedience to what they were told. And if you have a, a, your Bible in front of you, you can just keep like skipping pages. You'll see that this is what's happening now between 33 and chapter 40. That they're describing how all of this is coming together, how all of this is being set up. Everything was done um, perfectly down to the last detail as instructed by God. Everything is, is then anointed, including the priests and their garments and all of this. All of this stuff is happening. And then Exodus 40, 34 to 38 says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. So Exodus ends with a fulfillment of the promise that God made in, in chapter 29, even before we had read this morning, that God, the promise that God had made is that God would live among his people. And so now the setup in the tabernacle looks like this. The tent of meeting, the tabernacle, is now literally directly in the middle of their camp. This sets them apart from every nation. This shows that their, the, the central part of their life and their worship was here. It, God was dwelling in their midst as much as he could, of course, 
before Christ, before the Holy Spirit was sent. Oh, we're going to get there. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. But this is, this, is, this is the symbol of that. This is the picture of that, that God is literally living or dwelling in the middle of his people. And all of this work that they did to create this beautiful tabernacle was all finished on the first day of the first month in the second year, Scripture says, just in time for the people to celebrate the first anniversary of their deliverance from Egypt. God's timing is never a coincidence either. God wanted to do more than save his people from slavery in Egypt. I mean, that was incredible, of course. He wanted more than that, though. He wanted a relationship with them. He wanted to dwell in the middle of them. He wanted to be their God for them to be his people. That was the promise. It's repeated over and over and over and over in Scripture. One commentator said it like this, Moses did everything right. Over and over again, the Bible says that he set up the tabernacle just the way God told him to. Everything was in place. The only thing missing was the one thing that everyone was waiting to see, the glorious presence of God. This was not something that Moses could set in place. With the right instructions, he could put the tabernacle together, but only God could fill it with glory. The only way to approach the God of all glory is to come with a sacrifice of blood. By initially denying Moses' entrance, God once again taught his people the necessity of atonement. We also learn that God is infinitely more glorious than we could ever expect or imagine. After a while, we start to get used to God. We become familiar with the vocabulary used to describe his divine attributes. We have heard of his holiness, justice, mercy, and love. We are able to list these terms, perhaps even to define them, but do we have any idea how glorious God is in the majesty of his triune being? Are we aware of the mortally dangerous perfection of his holiness? Do we sense how overwhelming it is to come into the presence of his glory? So the question as we look back at this story from such a long time ago is always what is our response to the glory of God? What is our response knowing? I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit, of course, but we live in a New Testament post-cross, post-resurrection era here. Knowing that the presence of God that God has always wanted to live like that among his people, knowing that his presence is real, knowing that that's, that's the heart of our Father. What's our response to the presence of God? In this story, of course, we see the Israelites. Perhaps we respond like them, and it maybe seems easier or less scary to just stay at a distance and watch the really spiritual people go into his presence, seek after his presence. You know, if you know me for any uh, matter, any length of time whatsoever, that I think that's nonsense. <laughs> There's no such thing as that. That all of us are invited. All of us are made right through Jesus. There's no levels or tiers or like special people or whatever. Like we are all one under the cross. So there, for whether from the youngest to the oldest, watching someone else go into the presence of God, watching somebody else do it and think that's cool, good for them. That's for you. That's been provided for you. But do we find ourselves sometimes like the Israelites, just not wanting to, to, to risk maybe, I don't know, maybe what God would say or what he would do or what he has for us, I don't know, whatever the hesitation would be. Do we, are we comfortable watching others or 
letting that be for someone else instead of understanding in Christ, this is for each and every one of us, his presence in our lives. We didn't talk a lot about this, but of course, the beginning of the story, I mentioned how uh, they, they made the golden calf, Aaron, Moses' brother, who's actually going to become the first high priest, just, it's, he's, he comes a long way. Like it was, just, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a crazy story, but uh, waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain, they make the golden calf. And maybe so many of us are in this place that we're like Aaron, where, where we understand what we're supposed to be doing there, but somehow we get distracted. We get worshiping idols instead of waiting on God. We grab onto the thing that's in front of us. We pursue something that we're not supposed to be pursuing because it feels like it's at least something. And waiting on God can be really, really challenging, I, I, I understand. And maybe some of us are like Aaron and we've started to set up some things in our lives that God is like, that's not me. That's not from me. I want you to wait on me and my presence. I want you to seek me and not try to find something to fill any void in your life. Maybe, maybe some of us are in that place like Aaron. Or, of course, our response every day can be like Moses. Knowing who you are, God's chosen people. Knowing what God has promised, that his presence would be with, with you, that, that you would be his people, that he would be your God. And knowing your need of his presence, that you don't want to do one more thing. You're like, God, I can't even do Monday without your presence. I don't want any of you waking up tomorrow morning and saying, Lord, sorry, I cannot go out from here unless you go with, although I want that in your spirit, but don't make it an excuse. God, I don't want to go into my workday. I can't go to school. I can't go to the grocery store. I can't do anything this week unless your presence goes with me. I'm, it's, I don't want that life. I don't want to do it without you. I'm so tired of trying to do it in my own strength. I'm so tired of trying to figure everything out by myself. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm not making one more decision. I'm not going to work one more day unless your presence goes with me. Maybe we would be like Moses. Will you pursue the presence of God? Maybe like Joshua. Will you run after him? the knowledge of him, the experience of him, not being afraid of anything. This is the God who has always longed to live right in the middle of his people. And he has made a way for us to know his presence. Matt, you can come. I see that Rob just left to cough, I think, in the lobby. So when he comes back, he can join you. <laughs> and so let's take this... <laughs> Let's watch him run up to the platform afterwards. <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be fine. You got it. You could do it. And <laughs> he's getting the memo right now. Okay. <laughs> of course, like I said earlier, we're going to get a chance to really talk about this in, um, in a couple of weeks. But this God who, who has made himself known has done this in the most incredible way. We're going to gather around this table and we're going, to, we're going to remember that again this morning, as is our tradition. Hebrews chapter 9, I'm going to skip around a little bit. If you're looking for this reference, they'll be there for you. But um, it says this, but when Christ came, here's this reference to this tabernacle. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal Redemption, eternal redemption. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, brothers and sisters, 
Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Just a little encouragement. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God. Maybe you know this one. And he will draw near to you. Earlier in Hebrews, it says, Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There's so much theologically that we could very excitingly unpack here in the book of Hebrews, but I want to say to you just briefly that the reason that we we can even look at that Old Testament as as a picture of what was to come, Pastor Aaron's going to take us even more into that next week. We're going to be talking about the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant. We're going to talk about David. We're going to talk about temple, a couple things. All of these are a picture. All of these people who were so, it was so incredible that God would come and and set up camp and dwell in the middle of his people. They looked so different than the nations around them that the nations around them even understood that this cloud was the presence of their God among them. And that God did all of these things and he had um, all of these sacrifices and all that was set up so that they could be uh, made, made right before him and they could be in his presence and all of these things. And such an incredible picture. There's so much to say. But I'll just say that because of Jesus being the perfect high priest, came in perfection and then gave his life as the ultimate Sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice for us. That shedding of blood that is required for the forgiveness of sins has already been shed because the perfect sacrifice was made in Christ. And so we get to receive all that it means that Jesus came and died for us, that he came and and made it so that it wasn't even just like we had to watch somebody else going into his presence but that we were invited with, to confidently go into his presence because Jesus has already paid that price. I want that to sit in your hearts this week. I want you to think about the fact that you can draw near to the God of the universe and he will draw near to you. I want you to think about the fact that you can, you can um, go Approach God's throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need, that there is nothing that needs to hold you back. And so we are going to remember and celebrate that. We are going to proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes again because because of what he has done for us, all of this, the presence of God in our lives, the indwelling of God in, for us every day,
The fact that we can say, I am not going into my Monday without you, and I don't have to because of what Jesus has done. That all of this is true. So I'm going to have the servers come in just a moment as, as the gentlemen lead us. Um, if you're new with us, here's what we do. Uh, we just one at a time, or one, one row at a time, come up, receive the emblems. You can go back to your seats, hold on to those emblems, the uh, juice and crack. The cracker's just in the second cup underneath the juice. Hold on to those emblems, and we will read some scripture, pray, and take those things together. But as you come, and as you're led, and as you're walking through these steps now, I, I want you to consider the grace of God, the mercy of God, and how easy it is to just come and approach him this morning. What a joy. Let's stand together.